All right, so can I just say it's just sex and the Bible is outdated? Can we just go ahead and throw that out there, right? Welcome, of course, to Reach Online Church and to the Reach and Teach podcast. It is me, Victoria Baxter. I'm a Christian life coach with New Thing Life Coaching, and I'm also the founding teacher here behind this online ministry, the JAL Ministry, Reach Online Church. You can learn more at www.thejalministry.com. And this is actually the last installment in a series that's all about debunking and dispelling things that we are quick as Christians to recite and repeat. But did Jesus say that? We've been discovering that a lot of times the answer is no, because with a lot of the things that are cliche, with some of the things that are being repeated and reposted, Jesus did not say that like at all. And I was wondering if you're bold to spend about half an hour with me. Can we talk about sex. I think when it comes down to this topic that we um, 100% absolutely need to go ahead and pause this right now and kick this off with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just want to say thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time together. Lord God, I uh, repent of any sins right now that um, that are still you know, lingering, you know, in my life, any sins right now that can be held against me, Lord God, anything uh, that I have done that is displeasing to you, Lord God. I want to just also ask for forgiveness that it took me a while to deliver this message, one that I knew I was being pushed to deliver, but trying to ensure, Lord God, that I did not lead any of your children astray, trying to ensure that I made sure that I could deliver this message in a way that was pleasing to you. And even after all the time that it took to come up with these notes, my prayers that I would deliver this message the way that you see fit. I have my notes, but Lord God, as always, my prayers that you would decrease me and increase you, Lord God. This moment is all about you. This moment is all about your word. I pray that you would open up the hearts, the ears, and the minds of everyone right now who is under the sound of my voice. My prayer is that you would speak to them and myself in the way that only you can do, that we can all walk away knowing that we heard from you clearly during this time. That is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's start with in the beginning, right? If we go all the way to in the beginning, because Genesis 2 is where we see that God's plan for marriage, you know, got introduced initially speaking. So sorry, I don't have anything tagged. So I'm just going to make my way here. So here's where everything got introduced. There is no other human relationship that is to supersede the bond between husband and wife. And it's like a threefold miracle what we ultimately end up seeing here. And I say threefold because one, biologically speaking, two become one. Socially, because two families are now being fashioned and joined together. And then spiritually speaking, marriages are to represent the union of Christ and the church. So let's look at Genesis 2.24. Genesis 2.24, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So here's where we have leave and cleave, right? It's leaving your parents after the wedding. Your mom is no longer the most important. Your father is no longer the most important. Like this is where you are leaving your parents and you are cleaving to your spouse. And that is like the most important thing that is going to take place. They are becoming united here in this sense, because there is now an everlasting commitment in a permanent what is supposed to be a permanent relationship. 
They are now becoming one flesh in this scripture, in physical union. It is the deepest intimacy that they are going to be able to experience. And then, of course, what comes is consummation. And consummation is, by uh, definition, it is the point at which something is complete or finalized. So here, as it pertains to marriage, it is the action of making the marriage or relationship complete by having sexual intercourse. And in the context of marriage, obviously, consummation means the actualization of marriage. It is the first act of sexual intercourse after marriage between a husband and a wife. And consummation is particularly re relevant under canon law where failure to consummate a marriage is actually ground for a divorce or an annulment. Like people don't realize that. And it's like after getting married, there are no legal requirements for marriage after the ceremony in most states. However, there are still a few states today that require consummation of the marriage through sexual relations. Even though it's not the norm, there are some states that still allow that. So again, in other words, some states will say like, hey, well, if y'all did not consummate the marriage at all, then technically you're really not married. And yes, we'll allow grounds for divorce. So yes, we will allow grounds for it to be an annulment. This is how annulments even come into play if consummation has not taken place in the actual marriage. My point being is that sex obviously matters greatly when it comes to marriage. So like I said, we have the threefold miracle. We have the legitimization of it. We have the consummation, you know, all of these different things. We see the importance of sex for a marriage. But what about the seriousness of sex before marriage. We see how important sex is for marriage, but what about seriousness that takes place of having sex before marriage? I will say as a Christian coach working with Christian single women, it's definitely an interesting field to be in. The things that get shared, the things that get told, the things that get taught, you know, today that are even geared towards singles and what it is they need to do, what they should not do, what they should stop doing, like all of these different rules and of course when it comes to dating and relationship goals when it comes to preparation the list goes on when it comes to all of the different things that christian singles are being told today it's just, it's it's crazy it's hectic um and again i do see how it is definitely a growing and a thriving and a booming industry because more and more people are wanting companionship people want relationships and yes you also have the group of those who have been you know absent forever celibate you know of course virgins for those who are saying like hey i've been holding out for a while waiting on a husband when is god going to bless me with a husband when is god going to bless me with a wife like when is this going to happen so that i can do something with these passions and these urges and these desires that i have and a lot of the things that i even see that get discussed today the thing is that the thing that is often discussed is sex. A lot of times it is abstinence. There's celibacy, there's purity culture. There are all of these different things that are being talked about more than anything else. It's like sex gets discussed almost more than, if not right up there than with healing. But it's like everything else gets bypassed. Like we're not talking about like finances, right? Like how finances, that's still like one of the number one causes of divorce. We don't talk about, you know, like getting your emotions in check. We don't talk about submission and respect and love and communication. Everything is all about stop having sex and then make sure you heal. And when you heal, then that'll cause you to finally stop having sex. And maybe when you stop having sex, that's how you can actually get a husband. The need to be sex free to get a husband is what I see more than anything among a lot of women today. And it's not even about honoring God. There are so much talks about 
premarital sex and the sinful nature of it. So I wanted to evaluate this touchy subject on today because fornication, it's a word that we all know. It's a word that we all hear, right? We use it generally to describe two people who are having sex outside of marriage, or should I say engaging in premarital sex. So let's look at the history of the word in and of itself. When it comes to the Greek for fornication, it actually comes from the word porneia. Sounds familiar because, yeah, porneia, obviously, it has a lot to do with porn and pornography. And we know, of course, what that all ties into. And it's all about being unfaithful to your marriage vows. There's sinful sexual activity, no matter the marital status. It's talking about harlotry. It's talking about prostitution. Those are the things in the Greek form what fornication has to deal with. It's talking about being unfaithful to marriage vows. It's talking about any type of sinful sexual activity. And it's talking about harlots and it's talking about prostitution. If you go to fornication looking at it from the Latin standpoint, it is from the Latin fornix, which actually means an archway. It is the vaulted arches of church of churches that are called fornication. Now, the term actually gained its sexual connotation because what prostitutes in Rome were doing was they were soliciting business from the archways of the buildings. So in the early 21st century, fornication was a slightly kind of like an obsolete, archaic term, but it was, you know, it was talking about issues that had to deal with sin and morality and it was employed in the context of religious discussions that dealt with sexual behaviors. So it is said to be different from adultery, though in many cases, that is what it was likened to. Fornication was likened to adultery at the end of the day. And we know what adultery is. It is having sex with someone else while you're actually married. It means when you are when you have a husband or when you have a wife, you should not be having sex with anyone else. If you do, you have now committed adultery. You are now an adulterer. So back then, of course, even when people were mentioning fornication, that's also what it was tied to again, because fornication also dealt with sexual sin, regardless of the marital status. And it also had to do with being unfaithful to your marriage vows. Look at Matthew 19, 9. Matthew 19, 9. This is not preaching today. This is not inspiration today. This is really just more so teaching is what we're going to be, or what I will be doing today. But Matthew 19, 9. And this is Jesus talking. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And in some translations, it even talks about, you know, sexual immorality. And of course, the thing is that with sexual immorality, truth be told, that is a very, and I'm sorry, he does actually say sexual immorality in this, um, in the NIV translation, sexual immorality, it is a broad term. It is a broad term that refers to many different kinds of impure and illicit acts. And biblically speaking, when a lot of times you see sexual immorality, they are talking about like, orgies, extramarital, they're talking about homosexuality, things of that nature, because immorality breaks the one flesh union, which as we discussed earlier, is part of the threefold miracle. 
So some see this violation as justifiable cause for divorce. But what we have to understand is that Jesus was not inviting, you know, justifying or stating that though. He just found it worth mentioning that Moses gave this permission um, or this cause because of the hardened hearts that were actually happening, you know, and that, that, that existed at that time. So religion is playing a large part into many different things, obviously. Even when it comes to, you know, premarital sex as a sin, religion plays a part. And let's talk about religion playing a part. In Old Testament law, fornication was a version of idolatry or adultery, which were both forbidden, as we know, according to the Ten Commandments, right? We know that idolatry or worshiping another god was considered or maybe some don't know, but idolatry or worshiping another God was considered a form of fornication insofar as illicit intercourse serving as an analogy for unfaithfulness. So extramarital intercourse, again, meaning any type of sex that happens outside of your actual marriage, you know, the two people being married, it represented a breach of marital vows. Now, although extramarital sexual acts were serious infractions of both religious and civil laws, premarital sex was less serious than adulterous sex. Premarital sex was less serious than adulterous sex, although, although engaging in premarital sex might actually produce a marriage under Jewish law. And then Islamic law followed the Old Testament prohibitions against pre and extramarital sexual relations, classifying such behaviors as, you know, like Xena or the most serious kind of transgression. That's what took place in Islamic law. Christianity forbids fornication based on both Old and New Testament proclamations. But as I said as well, when you look at what fornication is, it was not really talking about premarital sex. So where is it stated that fornication is a sin? Let's look at the difference, because I know fornication is something that does need to be talked about. Regardless of your, you know, again, obviously, you know, your relationship status, it's something that has to be talked about. It has to be discussed because yes, we say that fornication is a sin, all of these things, where does it say that it is a sin so that we can truly look at those scriptures in the Bible and so that we can be clear on what's going on here? Go with me to 1 Corinthians 5, 1. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. Let's be clear, me doing this message that I did not want to do for the past several months now, because I do not want to be responsible for anyone who is going to be condemning themselves for anything that they have been doing. I don't want to be responsible for anyone who was maybe walking and doing things a certain way and now thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe now I, I can in fact do this. I am here to teach. Let those who have ears to hear, hear, and then you pray and you let that be that. I am someone who does not like false information I do not like seeing scripture be misinterpreted. I do not like when people do not study to show themselves approved. So I took the time to study myself and to truly research in order to deliver this message, which again, this was supposed to be delivered months ago. 
As you see, I have not done a message for Reach Online Church for months because I knew that I was not released to go on to the next series until this series was finished. And I knew that this was supposed to be the last message in this series. And I've had people who have actually been waiting on me to deliver this message for some time. I was like, it's coming, it's coming. I'm going to be delivering it. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. So here we are. And I'm explaining to you why there has been a hiatus and why I have stalled when it comes to this. So again, please make sure that you are taking the time to pray and research and do so. And I would even love feedback. You know, maybe if you're someone who you start researching or doing something, I would love to hear from you. Go to the JALministry.com. Shoot me a message. You can even email, you know, admin at the JALministry.com. I would love to hear from you. Okay. And if you're following any of the social media pages, send me a DM. Let's talk about it. All right. First Corinthians 5.1. It says it is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Translation determines terminology, all right? Sexual immorality, which means sex in wrong ways. But the King James Version of this scripture says fornication. But yet we saw here what Paul said. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. We are talking about a man in the church being sexually involved with his father's wife. Context. We can skip up a few chapters. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. I teach from this chapter a lot, you know, especially doing single women's ministry. So if you look at verse 2, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Again, Fornication is used in the King James Version. What Paul is saying is stop the immorality, have only sex with your spouse, you know, only have sex with your spouse. If you are married, you should not be having sex with anyone else. Now, if we actually go back to verse one, it says, now for the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. If you actually, let me see if I'm sorry, if I can, I didn't have this prepared. If I can pull up the amplified version. I want to see if I can get to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 amplified. He says, now, as to the matters of which you wrote, meaning, first of all, they wrote him about this because they were trying to get clarity on all of these things says, now, as to the matters of which you wrote, it is good, meaning beneficial or advantageous for a man not to touch a woman outside of marriage. He's saying it is not beneficial to touch a woman outside of marriage. He's asking, what benefit can you get from this? Now, all together, we were to look at verses one through nine. I'm just kind of going to go back and put them all together. Now, for the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now here, burn has been interpreted primarily in two ways, as a reference to the fires of judgment, which can be a result of sexual sin, or as a metaphor for passion that has not yet been controlled. But here in verses one through nine, here Paul is answering questions that were asked and being posed by members of the church. So again, context, because he is speaking to a particular group for a particular reason, which you had to understand is that Corinth had a reputation for sexual vice and for sacred prostitution. Corinth was the site, the Aphrodite temple, who was the goddess of love. This was the site of that Aphrodite temple. And it's where hundreds of temple prostitutes were handling their business at the end of the day. And again, this goes back to the history of fornication. It goes back to what we have already said to be true as far as uh, fornication is concerned. And prostitute is prostitute. There's a woman who accepts payments or bribes for sex. So Paul gives many opinions. Paul gives many instructions based on what was going on at the various churches that he visited or heard about. Here is where we get the Pauline epistles or the Pauline letters. Because depending on what was going on in Galatia, what was going on in Corinth, what was going on, you know, in Philippa, all of these different places, he was writing letters based off of those things, okay? Countless times we see the sin in adultery and in extramarital affairs. Look at Exodus 20, verse 14. I really should have my glasses on. Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery. Look at Deuteronomy 5, 18. Deuteronomy 5, 18, you shall not commit adultery. So the sin we see a lot of times is in adultery. It has to do with extramarital affairs. It has to do with doing something once you have already, again, went through that threefold miracle. Biologically, you know, you've already said you're going to leave to cleave. You're going to be with this person. You are going to forsake all others. Means you should not be doing anything outside of that marriage, right? So recap, we often discuss fornication to be a generally accepted word for premarital sex when it's not the case. More so, sexual immorality is what the issue is. That's what it all boils down to when it comes to sex, when it comes to fornication. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins that a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is actually under the sexual immorality heading. Again, context. Because some within the Christian community 
had continued to go to prostitutes. And what they were stating was that they were not being affected because what they were doing only involved their bodies. And Paul wanted them to know, wanting us to know, you and me wanting us to know as well, that what we do with our bodies most definitely affects the spiritual states of our souls. When you look at verse 19, it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And this is even where the debate of soul ties comes in, something that a lot of people really don't believe in. Well, it's not in the Bible. Nowhere does the Bible say soul ties. Neither is the word Holy Trinity explicitly, but we believe in God, the Father, Christ, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three and one. We know that to be the Holy Spirit. We know, I'm sorry, we know that to be the Holy Trinity, don't we? When you think about demons at the end of the day and there's the transference of spirits, there's a difference between soul and spirit, right? And we know that demons can actually transfer, right? These are spirits that can actually transfer. So how can we believe in these things, but then we can't believe in soul ties? David and Jonathan, it talks about how their bodies were or their souls were knit together. It says they were so close, their souls were knit or tied together. The Bible speaks of David and Jonathan that had a soul tie. So sex is not the only thing that forms a tie, but it can. It does, and it will. So saying here, you're, you're talking about going and joining with prostitutes, prostitutes who have defiled their body, prostitutes that have engaged in sexual immorality, prostitutes who were doing things at the church buildings, for crying out loud. A defiled spirit like that, a woman like that, some, someone as immoral as that. No, you cannot think that it is your body and what you are doing is not going to affect you. That is not how this works at all. Premarital sex is a sin. But did Jesus say that? What does the word say at the end of the day? I can take you right now to Galatians 5.19. Let's go there. Galatians 5.19 says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. I can take you to back to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, where it says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. I can take you right back to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Like I just said, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. This is what the word says. But where does it say that premarital sex is a sin? Here's the thing, truth be told, and some of you are not going to want to hear me say this, but it doesn't. Nowhere in the Bible does the word say that premarital sex is a sin. It doesn't unless you're choosing to hold the word fornication to one definition and application, which goes against the root of the word itself. You have to look at the word. You have to look at context. You have to look at factors. God's word supersedes all. Amen. And I say factors to ensure that we look at the history of things and the notion behind premarital sex is a sin. Again, did Jesus really say that? Did Jesus say that? I am not here to persuade or change your mind. I am here to teach. Like I said, I'm simply here to teach a message that I was to do months ago and I never did. I am not here to sway you in either direction at all. 
The reasoning for prohibitions against pre and extramarital intercourse came from society's need to maintain family integrity and identity, to guarantee the legitimacy of children, to protect unmarried women from interference or their own premature desires. That is the reason why society had all of these different prohibitions, prohibitions, I'm sorry, against pre and extramarital intercourse. These three things are all scripturally backed in the Bible as well. And now as post-industrial societies have devised state-enforced criminal codes, transgressions such as fornication were often codified along with other moral wrongs as defined by the dominant religion. And if I can go history and nerdy for a little bit, as Renaissance and Enlightenment governments began producing criminal laws, the issues of morality such as fornication, they were defined as behaviors that were against the law. Criminal laws actually forbade premarital sex, extramarital sex, and adultery. Criminal laws. The early North American colonies adopted anti-fornication laws. If I can go deeper with history, let me tell you that in 1642, for example, the Massachusetts colony enacted a law against fornication that said that if any man shall commit fornication with any single woman, they shall be punished either by enjoining to marriage or fine or corporal punishment or any or all of these things as the judges of the courts of assistance shall appoint most agreeable to the word of God. Let me reread that because I want to make sure that you heard me. In 1642... The Massachusetts Colony Act, I'm sorry, Colony, they enacted a law against fornication that said if any man shall commit fornication with any single woman, they shall be punished either by enjoining to marriage, fine, corporal punishment, or any or all of these things as the judges of the courts of assistance shall appoint most agreeable to the word of God. Under the Napoleonic Penal Code of 1810, husbands could divorce wives who committed adultery, though the husband's own behaviors were less restricted. Here's the thing. Modern governments still have anti-fornication laws, which criminalize non-marital cohabitation, adultery, and prostitution. Any kind of extramarital intercourse is a crime in most Muslim countries, and the laws a lot of times are often enforced, yielding very harsh punishments for those involved. In many countries with such laws, the woman is treated more harshly than the man, perpetuating a lot of the sexist myths about the provocative powers of women. Now that sounds familiar because we're talking about other countries and other religions, but yet it's funny because of course the adulterous woman who was caught in the act in John, they were ready to stone and punish her, but it's like the male in European and North American countries, anti-fornication laws usually define sex as vaginal intercourse between two people who are not married to one another, and they treat both people as being equally culpable. So I know you're probably thinking, all right, Victoria, you're telling us a whole lot of stuff here. Can I have sex or not? That is what I'm trying to figure out. Can I have sex if I'm not married? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 6.12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, 
but I will not be mastered by anything. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So how do we respond as Christ followers? Because Christians, that just means that we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Christian just means that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day that he rose again. That's what it means to be a Christian. A Christ follower is someone who is saying, I want to emulate Christ. I want to imitate Christ. I want to honor God. That I'm aware that, like 1 Corinthians 6 speaks about, that it's the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me and my body is not my own. And that anything that I do to my body, I'm also doing to the Holy Spirit and to God at work within me. That is what it means to be a Christ follower. So here's what I will tell you. The first thing you need to do as a Christ follower is you need to seek wisdom. I've given you a lot of information. I've given you a lot of facts. I've given you breakdowns of things that I've taken the time to study extensively. I would still tell you to seek your own wisdom. I would then tell you to pray earnestly. I would tell you that you take this to God in prayer and whatever answer it is that you need, whatever answer it is that you seek and that you pray and that you ask him to speak to you clearly and directly about all of these things. I would tell you lastly, to be guided by the Holy Spirit who is at work within you, to not stifle the Holy Spirit. To be convicted, to not be condemned, do not be chastised, but to be convicted by the Holy Spirit that is at work within you. Because what I do know is that judgment, it is so easy for us to do. Judgment, it comes easy, it comes naturally. Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you too will be judged, right? Abstinence and purity are good. Make no mistakes. <laughs> Years, okay? Years. Abstinence and purity are good. But what I will also tell you is to check your motive behind it. Check your motive behind anything you do. This is something I always ask my clients. Oh, well, I want this. Why? Well, I'm doing this. Why? I'm going to stop doing this. Why? I'm going to start doing this. Why? What is your motive? What is your reasoning behind it? Jeremiah 17, 10, God says, I search and examine the hearts and I reward each person based off of what they deserve. Not based on what your actions deserve. He says, I'm checking your heart and I am rewarding you based on what your motives deserve. Me, when I became abstinent January 1st, 2016, mine became a sense of pride. It was my proverbial badge of honor that had me thinking that I was better than others. I definitely became self-righteous. And I'd also became one of those, I was like, oh, well, I know that God is going to be blessing me with a husband now because I'm finally honoring him with my body. My motives were jacked. Abstinence should not be because you want a spouse, first of all. Two, second of all, should I say, those who engaged in premarital sex didn't curse their marriage the same way that those who waited or are waiting did not automatically set it up for supernatural success. Because here's what I know about my God. Matthew 5, 45 says that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Some says that he sends rain on the just and the unjust. It goes back to judgment. There will be a time of judgment in the future, yes. For now, God graciously gives good things, even to those who hate him. But he gives the blessings of rain to the just and the unjust. Wicked and evil people, people who mock and curse him, those who even deny his existence, 
still get to enjoy the goodness of God. God does not withhold all blessings until a person comes to him in repentance and faith in Christ. So since God is so generous with his enemies, guess what? We should be as well. So when it comes to your self-application, when it comes to this message, how has God spoken to you? Do you have new knowledge? Well, now it's time for you to share it. Have you been convicted? Well, guess what? It's now time for you to repent. Do you have more questions? Well, guess what? It's time for you to seek revelation. Are you realizing you were wrong? Maybe it's time for you to apologize. Romans 14, 22, and I will end with this. Romans 14, 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just want to say thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your power that is at work within me, Lord God. My prayer is that you would touch everyone who is the, as they close this message out. I pray that you would speak to them, that you would speak to me, Lord God. Help everyone to live in a way that is worthy to you, Lord God. Help everyone to live in a way that is pleasing to you is my prayer. Lord, we love you. We need you. We thank you. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I pray that you were all able to take something from this, that you were now able to see something in a way that you were never able to see it before. You can visit the site to stay connected, www.thejalministry.com. If you are led, you can sow into this ministry. We are tied to God is Love Incorporated, a local nonprofit organization here in Charleston, South Carolina. And we actually have our outreach program this summer that is partnering with the 843 Royals. They are an AAU traveling basketball team for ninth and 10th graders. Jabrell Jenkins is a coach who is also an elementary school teacher and he gives all that he has to these boys, taking them on tournaments all across the low country, really even just the lower parts of the United States. And what we are doing is we're actually partnering with them this summer in order to help boys that otherwise might not be able to cover the cost for this um, because there are many costs that are involved. Even for them to be a part, it's already like, it's a good bit of money. Then of course there are rentals and there's uniforms and right now truth be told they need a bigger vehicle it's so many different things and thanks to some of you who are still you know faithful sponsors and tithers and donors and sowers to this ministry we are able to accomplish so much we have an upcoming back to school event in august burgers and backpacks so when you sow into this ministry you really are sowing into good ground we are making a difference here in charleston you can learn more about the nonprofit at www.godislovinc.org org all right subscribe while you go to either site you can even shop there's so many different things to do a lot is possible because of your generation your generosity your generosity but god bless i pray that you all have a fantastic uh rest of your day and i'll see you all tomorrow or at least for the podcast for mountain moving monday those of you who are watching in the public reach online church group on facebook and those of you who are watching this in the reach online church on youtube you can also subscribe to the Reach and Teach podcast as well because there are different things that takes place there as far as Mountain Moving Monday, Bible study, the whole nine. God bless. Talk to you all later. Bye.